California is famous for its earthquakes and for its earthquake movies. But what's just fiction and what should we really be worried about? And why on earth is California so seismic in the first place? From Los Angeles, I'm Meg Rosenberg, and today we're focusing on the physics of faults. Not the ones in our stars, but the ones under our feet. The earth will literally crack open. I cannot emphasize this enough. You need to get out. And I mean now. That's actor Paul Giamatti playing a representative from a fictional California Institute of Technology in a trailer for the upcoming disaster movie San Andreas. As earthquake movies go, this one looks to have everything we've come to expect from the genre, from huge cracks splitting the ground, to crumbling skyscrapers, to an incredibly large tsunami. Many of these disaster movie staples are, of course, impossible, but that doesn't mean there's nothing to worry about. Earthquakes are dangerous, and Californians need to be prepared. So to give us a sense of the science behind the big one, we caught up with Dr. Bell Philibosian, a postdoctoral researcher and earthquake geologist at the Institut de Physique du Globe de Paris and an alumna of the real Caltech in Pasadena, California. I was chagrined to see that this guy was from my alma mater. She attributes many of these enduring earthquake movie myths to a popular 1978 film. Most of them came originally from, I think, the Superman movie. You have so many of the same things. You have these giant chasms swallowing people up. You have Hoover Dam collapsing. You have, uh, at least they didn't imply that all of California will collapse into the ocean after this earthquake, as was implied in Superman. It occurs to me that a 500 megaton bomb planted at just a proper point would, uh, would destroy most of California. Millions of innocent people would be killed. And the West Coast as we know it would fall into the sea. Bye-bye, California. <laughs> we wish that movies would get better, <laughs> but it seems like 30, 40 years later, it's uh, still the same story. So California isn't in danger of sliding into the ocean. Sorry, Lex Luthor. But what exactly will happen when the next big earthquake hits, and why? To understand that, we need to zoom out a little bit and see what's going on with California and the San Andreas Fault in particular. Take it away, Superman. Oh, the San Andreas Fault, maybe you've heard of it. Yes, it's the joining together of two landmasses. The fault line is unstable and shifting, which is why you get earthquakes in California from time to time. Right. Two landmasses shifting with respect to each other. That's where plate tectonics comes in. Earthquakes happen because the crust of the Earth, the outer surface, is broken into large pieces or plates. And these plates move over the surface of the Earth relative to each other. The rigid plates are constantly bumping into each other, and there are three main types of boundaries where they meet. At divergent plate boundaries, the plates are moving away from each other as new ocean crust forms and pushes them apart. Where two plates converge... Typically what will happen is one of the plates will thrust underneath the other plate and actually sink down into the mantle. That's called a subduction zone. The San Andreas is a strike-slip fault, the third type of plate boundary. In this case, rather than moving apart or colliding head-on, the North American plate and the Pacific plate are sliding sideways past each other, at a rate of a few centimeters per year. As you might imagine, that movement doesn't always happen very smoothly. As the plates scrape by each other, they can get stuck in places. Stress builds up over time and is then suddenly released. That's an earthquake. 
To see this behavior in action, we can use an earthquake machine, a simple demonstration consisting of a rubber band attached to a brick sitting on a strip of sandpaper. The brick and the sandpaper represent the two faces of a fault, and when you pull on the rubber band to move the brick, that force represents the motion of the tectonic plates. In the version I have here, the rubber band is attached to a winch, which allows you to apply tension in consistent intervals. As you steadily turn the handle, the rubber band stretches, storing elastic energy, but the friction between the brick and the sandpaper keeps everything from slipping until it's finally overcome. The brick slides and the tension in the rubber band is released. A similar process is happening all the time on the San Andreas Fault, but it's a lot more complicated. There are actually lots of regional faults that accommodate movement on this plate boundary, and small and moderate earthquakes are always relieving some of the stress on different areas of the system, so it's really hard to predict when the next big earthquake will hit. Last month, the United States Geological Survey released an updated risk map for California that upped the odds of a magnitude 8 quake, or greater, in the next 30 years, from 4.7 to 7%. That's not because the tectonic situation suddenly changed, but because we now have a better understanding of how faults can be interconnected. An earthquake on one fault can trigger another to rupture nearby, resulting in a bigger overall event. Now the models are always getting better, but predicting earthquakes precisely is not an easy task. So when you hear Paul Giamatti say, People need to know that the shaking is not over. We'll get hit again. And it's going to be a bigger monster. Maybe take that with a grain of salt. One of the things that seems to always happen when people make earthquake disaster movies is in order to make a good movie, you have to be able to have some kind of anticipation of the big event, <laughs> right? But in reality, of course, we are uh, not very successful, not really successful at all at predicting big earthquakes. We sometimes, sometimes have cases in which there is a smaller but still fairly large earthquake before a large event, but we only know after the fact that that was a foreshock, say. Never mind predicting a second huge earthquake, even the first one to hit California in the San Andreas trailer is a stretch. They have the scenario for a magnitude 9 earthquake, which at, at least is a magnitude of earthquake that actually does occur on Earth, as opposed to uh, some previous movies which have had magnitude 10, 10.5, that's almost certainly impossible. <laughs> um, magnitude 9 is something that is possible, but not on the San Andreas Fault. So that's where that breaks down. Seismologists use the Moment Magnitude Scale, a more quantitative and more broadly applicable successor to the Richter Scale, to describe the relative size of earthquakes. The numbers 5 or 7 or 9 are an estimate of the total amount of energy released during a quake. These small numbers are convenient, but it can be easy to forget that they represent vastly different scales of events. Magnitude, very importantly, is a logarithmic scale. So the amount of energy difference between a magnitude 8 and a 9 is actually 32 times, if we 
talked about earthquakes in terms of the total amount of energy, it would be a very huge contrast between numbers, which is why we use the magnitude scale. But that does mislead people sometimes. They think, oh, uh, nine is only one more than eight. Well, no, it's actually a lot more. It's 32 times more. The energy released in an earthquake, and hence its magnitude, is proportional to the amount of slip on the fault and the total area in the plane of the fault that ruptures. The larger that area, the bigger the quake. The San Andreas Fault is indeed very long, around 1,300 kilometers long, but the depth into the earth that is capable of rupturing seismically is around 10 to 15 kilometers. So when you calculate the total area, it's this very, very thin strip. And that area is capable of producing a magnitude 8, maybe a little bit more than 8, but there's no way that you can possibly get to a 9. Even though the San Andreas runs along almost the entire coast of California, the actual face of the fault is only about 1% as wide as its total length. Length times width just doesn't get you enough area to produce an earthquake that big whatever Hollywood says. So where do these kinds of events happen? All of the magnitude 9 earthquakes that we've recorded, and most of the large 8s as well, have all occurred on subduction zones. To get a huge earthquake, you need a huge area of a fault to rupture. Subduction zones have an advantage there, because one plate is sinking down below another. Normally, rocks at that depth are warm and become uh, ductile. That is, they still move past each other, but they're not uh, storing up tension and seismic uh, potential seismic energy. But our subducting plate used to be at the surface, where it's much colder. The plate sinks faster than the temperature can adjust, so the rock is still brittle. It can rupture seismically. In subduction zones, you have a much deeper fault. You, you have a much larger area of the fault that can produce earthquakes because of that cold material, brittle material, that is plunging much deeper into the crust. At one time, the coast of California was a subduction zone. A chunk of oceanic crust called the Farallon Plate was slowly but surely pushed under North America, carrying old island arcs and continental fragments as it went to be scraped off at the coast. That's where much of the western U.S. comes from. But about 30 million years ago, the subduction zone reached the far edge of the Farallon Plate in some places along the coast, and motion on the newly formed boundary between the Pacific and North American plates was in a strike-slip sense rather than a head-on collision. The San Andreas was born. If the moviemakers really wanted a magnitude 9 earthquake, they could have just moved up the coast a little bit to where a little piece of the Farallon Plate still exists. There is a subduction zone uh, just north of the San Andreas Fault beneath Northern California, Oregon, and Washington. The oceanic plate is going under North America in that area, and you absolutely can get a, a magnitude 9 subduction earthquake in that area. It just wouldn't be on the San Andreas Fault. <laughs> and then they'd have to change the title of the movie. According to Philobosian, unrealistic choices like this one aren't just annoying, they can be dangerous. I feel it's a bit irresponsible when these Hollywood movies come up with these completely ridiculous scenarios, which I think lead to people worrying about the wrong things. Or they hear someone say this is completely ridiculous and then maybe they won't worry about it at all, which is also the wrong response. The new movie trailer depicts a devastating array of destruction. Skyscrapers falling, fires igniting, dams collapsing, and there's certainly a grain of truth in these scenarios. But you don't need to invoke an impossibly large event on the most famous California fault to get there. You could still get 
serious, serious destruction from a much smaller earthquake right under Los Angeles. If the fault underneath downtown Los Angeles had an earthquake, which would be nowhere near nine, the maximum is probably around seven something, you could still end up with a scenario with collapsing high rises. That's scary enough for me, and the shaking itself isn't even necessarily the most destructive aspect of big events like this. Some of the most destructive earthquakes, like the 1906 San Francisco earthquake and also large earthquakes in Japan, in Tokyo in 1923, the major damage was actually from fires that were started. Um, certainly there was a lot of damage from shaking, but the much greater portion of the destruction was from fires. So by all means, enjoy a good disaster movie every once in a while, but don't let the drama fool you. Some bits may be exaggerated, but earthquakes are serious, and Hollywood has plenty of real-life disaster stories on which to draw. So be prepared, and maybe check out that new risk map from the USGS. You can find links to it and to all kinds of information on earthquakes and the San Andreas Fault on our website, physicsbuzz.physicscentral.com. I'm Meg Rosenberg, and you've been listening to the Physics Central Podcast. Thank you.